Cowabunga, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Turtle Tales. I'm your host, Rob, and joining with me is no one. It's kind of strange uh, not having my good buddy Josh here to kind of keep me in line and everything, but I do miss him. But uh, I'm very excited for the show, and this is a show dedicated to my favorite incarnation of the Ninja Turtles, which is Tales of the TMNT. And I'll explain all about what it means to me. But right now, I'm just feeling good because spring is almost here. Baseball season's on right on the horizon. The flowers are just about in bloom. School's on nearing the end. We're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we as educators, and I'm sure the students are as well. And, you know, I just love this time of year. So, welcome to March. Uh, this is the March episode, the inaugural episode of Turtle Tales. So... What is Turtle Tales? Well, it's going to be a monthly podcast dedicated to a single issue of the Tales of the TMNT comic books, both Volumes 1 and Volume 2, working in chronological order. So with this particular episode, for instance, we're covering the very first issue of Tales of the TMNT, which dates all the way back to May of 1987. So why do a monthly podcast dedicated to this incarnation of the Turtles? Well. Tales, in a lot of ways, started it all for me in the comic realm of the Turtles. Um, you guys know me. You guys have heard me, unfortunately, I'm sure, for about almost six years now. You know, you guys know I love the Turtles. But one thing I'm not sure if I've ever shared is that Tales of the TMNT kind of brought me into the comic book realm in my early 20s. Actually, no, I, I probably late teenage years. Uh, if you'll allow me to get a little personal... Um, my father, he had a severe heart attack in 2002 or 2003, and it was before I had my license, and my mom had actually taken us back up to New Jersey to see him, and the hospital wasn't far from my father's house, and uh, one day after seeing him in the hospital, I was walking home, and I found this comic book store uh, named, I think it was Fat Jack's in, in New Jersey, and I was kind of intrigued. I was kind of feeling a little bit down. And I walk into the store and I see Ninja Turtle comic books. And I remember thinking, wow, I guess I kind of heard that there was a, the Turtles were based on a comic book, but I'd never actually read it myself. But it was volume four. That volume is why I'm so connected to the Turtles because I bought a couple issues from volume four. And I also saw right beside volume four, Tales of the TMNT. And I can't remember specifically which issues I bought first, but it was within the first 10 or 12 issues of Volume 2. I took those home, you know, just, just feeling a little defeated, but I took those home and I, and I read them. And I remember being so enamored by what I read, and it really cheered me up during a difficult time in my life. And I think that was my first exposure to the magic of these Ninja Turtle comic books. So that's why I wanted to return to kind of my, I wouldn't say my first love, my first love for the comic books. And that's why we're here. So how's the show going to work? It's pretty simple. Each episode will focus on one issue of Tales. I'll try to cover Turtles context, maybe even throw in some pop culture context, a summary of the story, my thoughts, hopefully your thoughts, hopefully some of our beloved creators' thoughts on these amazing issues. And once again, I'm going in chronological order from Volume 1, Issue 1, from May of 1987, all the way to Volume 2, Issue 70, which was published in May of 2010, spanning 23 years of Mirage TMNT comics. 
So I can't wait, and I'm glad you all are joining me on this journey. First of all, I do have a thank you to give out of the way. First one goes to my comic book hero, Mr. Jim Lawson, who drew the Turtle Tales logo for this podcast. Uh, Jim is a major influence on me as, as a, a writer. I cannot wait till we talk about more of his work. Uh, obviously, he played a instrumental role in the Tales of the TMNT comic books, both Volumes 1 and Volume 2. So we're going to be talking about Jim Lawson a lot, and he was kind enough to write us a little response regarding this month's issue so i can't wait to share that with you and jim the 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 logo looks great now he knew donatello is my favorite turtle but one thing i didn't tell him to do for the for ask him to do for the logo i just said why don't you have donatello just reading something well jim remembered that issue nine of tales volume two was my favorite issue so he surprised me with a cover of that comic book for the logo of the show so i thought that was such a nice touch he just added clunk just to make me tear up i think i also want to thank brian from utah he's our first caller for this show and has some very insightful things that i'll be playing here in a little bit regarding this particular issue and regarding jim lawson's artwork which again kind of leads into the response that jim gives us a little bit later so stay tuned for that now without any further ado my friends let's start talking about the issue So about the turtle context, what was going on with the turtle toys at this time? Well, it's May of 1987 when this comic issue came out. So the answer is, not a whole lot. Playmates, the very first Playmates TMNT toy line, wouldn't actually come out until the summer of 1988, nearly a year after this issue was published. However, we did have a few TMNT toys by various companies. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Another Strangeness board game, which was a role-playing game from Palladium Books back in September of 1985. Pete and Drew, Pete, Pete and Drew, Pete and Kevin drew the cover of this, which looks phenomenal. I always wanted this particular role-playing game. It's not that hard to find, although it's a little bit pricey on eBay. But I hear it, it's definitely a collector's item. If you have it, I would keep your hands on that. Another toy that was also out at this time were the miniature figures from Dark Horse, which were 25mm figures that included four turtles and the turtles with energy weapons, Casey, Fugitoid, Splinter, Mausers, Triceratons with a flying harness, Terror Bears, which I believe were characters from the role-playing game, and Dr. Farrell and the Henchmen. Now, the thing is, guys, maybe you can help me with this. The timeline is a little fuzzy here. I'm guessing this was 1987, late 1987. I did see the back of some of the Carter Turtles figurines, which came out later, which says 1988. The bag figurines came out earlier, and I, I only learned this from an interview I read from Peter Laird, saying that the bag figures came out first. So my guess is either late 1987 or very early 1988, but before the Playmates line, nonetheless. But here's a little fun fact for you. According to an interview with Peter Laird, he had penciled the Dark Horse cards that came out later 
while Kevin did the coloring. And those look great. So if you have a carded version of those toys, hang on to those. Pretty neat little collector's items there. So my question to you as the listeners, were there other miscellaneous TMNT toys before the Playmates line? So please email in or call in. I'm fascinated to know about this kind of stuff. Now, as far as the cartoon context goes, the Turtles cartoon hadn't come out yet. That wasn't until December 28th of 1987. So about six or seven months later, this issue is on the cusp of the Mega Turtles movement that we children from the late 80s and early 90s know and love. So this hasn't happened yet. This is before the huge outbreak, the huge Turtles era that would soon be. Now, as far as the comic context goes, this issue takes place between Volume 1, Issue 10, and Issue 11. Issue 10, entitled Silent Partner, which was released in April of 1987, and Issue 11, True Stories, which was released in June of 1987. In Issue 10, Shredder and the Foot Clan return to battle the Turtles in April's second time around Antique Shop. Leonardo is badly injured, which is kind of a nice contrast between the comic books and what we see later in the films where Raph is the one who's hurt. Casey Jones, who first debuted from the Raph one-shot in April of 1985, comes to help fight alongside the Turtles, evening the odds until April's apartment catches fire and they have to flee the fight. After fleeing on foot, the Turtles, Splinter, Casey, and April take a breather and watch April's shop burn down, leaving April completely distraught. The next scene, we find the group driving out on the highway in Casey's 57 Chevy with a U-Haul trailer in tow. April rides with Casey while Splinter, Don, Raph, and Mike tend to Leo in the trailer. The issue concludes with the gang making their way to Northampton, Massachusetts. This issue takes place shortly after. And that, my friends, leads us to Volume 1, Issue 1 of Tales of the TMNT. Hello, Violators. You're in Casey's comic classroom. Prepare to be schooled. This story is considered a frame story, set where the Turtles, and I believe it's Donatello, sitting in an archaic study with tons of books, including nods to Kirby, Stephen King, and even T.S. Eliot. Do you remember the winter of 1987? It was so long ago, but still so clear in my memory. So obviously we get th- that this story is a flashback. So Donnie, he kicks back in his chair and summarizes his encounter with Shredder and how he had returned and attacked the turtles. The turtles were forced to flee to an old farm owned by Casey Jones, at least his uh, grandfather. Donnie foreshadows his story by stating, who would have guessed what was about to happen a few short weeks after we had moved in? So, one of the turtles is, is stout enough to lift the refrigerator. I'm thinking it's probably Raph. No, way. actually, no, it can't be Raph because he's with Casey in another scene following this one. So maybe it's Leo, Mikey, or Donnie. And meanwhile, the other turtles are jeering him. So I'm assuming this is probably Leo lifting this fridge. Meanwhile, Casey's showing Raph all the farmhouse's old battle scars caused by Casey himself. He exclaims, boy, I was a nut back then. I already love the dynamic between these two characters here. You kind of see this brotherly love already. And I also noticed Casey's Metallica shirt, you know, and I wonder how long he actually wears that in the series. Casey and Raph, they make their way back to the kitchen to check on April, who's been cleaning out the grimy old fridge. 
Casey does his best to reassure April by saying, with a signature Casey Jones charm, don't worry, some flowers, a few throw pillows, and this place will look great. Which, once again, kind of reminds me of the movie scene with Michelangelo from the original film. When he goes, a couple of throw pillows, uh, what do you think? Actually, I think that was Raph. Anyway, April gives him the look while Casey and Raph make their way back to the barn. On page 5, we get our first cutaway to a brand new character in the TMNT series, Casey's cousin Sid. Sid, dressed in a muscle shirt and sports a scraggly beard and shaggy hair, is staring out of the window of an old home in Holyoke. I, I hope I'm saying that right. And I always wonder why this area might be significant. I wonder if one of the creators might have been from there or knew somebody from there. Anyway, Sid and his, and his uninterested thug friend, drinking Chet's special export, Chet alert right there, talk about returning to Sid's family farm. Sid tells his friend to get his gang and to meet up at Dino's in an hour. At Dino's, Sid tells his gang that he needs backup because his cousin is psycho, yet he doesn't exactly tell them why he wants to go to the farm. Back at the farmhouse, while Donnie is looking at old toys in the attic, Mikey springs out of the darkness to scare Donnie half to death. There's a great full-page spread on page 8. Go check it out. However, the, the fun doesn't last long because Sid and his gang make their way to the farmhouse, armed and dangerous. Casey's instincts kick in right away as he orders the turtles to get out of sight. Sid, Max, and Spuds then make their way in by force. By the way, I love those names. Sid finally orders his goons to let Casey go once he sees April. And finally, we see what Sid really wants. Grandpa's Hoosick Tunnel Train Job Loot. While Casey has no idea where or even if this loot exists, Sid pulls out his gun and accuses Casey of playing stupid. Casey orders April to stay back as we see the turtles spying on the gang from the stairs. The turtles then stealthily make their way to the roof of the house with the hopes of luring the gang back outside. All of a sudden, a car horn sounds surprising Sid and his gang, who are still holding Casey and April at gunpoint. Sid, being the tough guy that he is, orders the cronies to go outside and check it out, playing right into the hands of the turtles, who make very short work of them, and the layouts here are absolutely awesome. For one, Leo hides under the snow and springs up to knock out one goon, while Raph karate chops another goon who is looking inside a firewood locker. Mikey then lures a third goon into the barn, sporting his raccoon coat that he uh, used to scare Donnie a minute ago. He dodges a knife attack and kicks the goon in the face, knocking him out cold. And lastly, Donnie finishes the job outside by trapping Sid's unsuspecting buddy's shoulder, dodging a swipe from the pipe, and cracking Donnie's bow staff across the man's face before uh, kick-springing him into a pile of snow unconscious. Back inside, Sid and Casey are arguing when Sid's car horde sounds yet again. This distracts Sid just enough for Casey to attack. Both men wrestle on the floor as Casey tells April to grab the gun. Casey seems to have the upper hand in the fight as he smashes his fist into Sid's face, but Casey can't seem to control himself. Finally, he snaps out of his rage, thanks to April's pleas. Casey lifts Sid up and pins him against the walls, exclaiming, There is no money! But Sid is relentless and argues that Casey's wrong. There's $250,000 buried, and Grandpa's last words were, X marks a spot. Sid raves on and on about the money like a lunatic, but Casey simply calls him an idiot in so many words. April and Casey put away the gun, and as Casey finally resolves to let Sid go if he promises to be a good boy, Sid still persists the money has to be there. 
All of a sudden, a light bulb goes off in Casey's head. He walks with Sid outside the farmhouse and leads him to the back of the barn, recollecting a story about his and his grandpa's dog, Spot. According to Casey, Spot got really sick one summer, and when he died, he and Grandpa buried him out behind the barn. He goes on to say that he remembered that there was a certain stone in the foundation of the barn that Grandpa wanted to mark the grave with because he thought it looked like a headstone. Sid and Casey dig at the foundation wall of the old barn and sure enough find a metal box hidden behind the rock wall. Sid, being, well, Sid, snatches the box out of Casey's hands only to have Casey spear Sid as both cousins wrestle for the mysterious box. Finally, as both play tug-of-war with the old box, it breaks open to reveal handwritten notes, not money. There are receipts for donations that Grandma had made with Grandpa's money in an attempt to make up for her husband's crime. Sid sobs as Casey and April have a good laugh to themselves. The epilogue concludes with the turtles, Casey and April, around the fireplace having a good laugh. Apparently they stuffed Sid's goons in Sid's trunk. Must be a big trunk. April states, Anyway, at least now that Sid knows there isn't any money, we probably heard the last of them. While Casey states, Yeah, and good riddance to bad rubbish. Okay, there you have it. Uh, so, my thoughts. Overall, I, I really actually enjoyed this issue. You know, in comparison to some of the latter issues of Tales 1, the villains are in this issue are much less of a threat to the Turtles, but um, I don't really think it matters because we get a little bit more of a backstory to Casey and his relationship with the Turtles and April and Splinter. I, I mean, even though Splinter's not in this issue, but yeah, I think that's what this is more about. If you look through that lens, that it's more about Casey, this is a pretty powerful issue. As far as the art goes, for one, the artwork was absolutely fantastic. I love Kevin and Pete's artwork. I always have. And, and their, their cover is amazing. You know, I, I'm always a sucker for dual perspective covers. You know, with the turtles on one side of the barn and Sid and April and one of the goons, maybe it's Spud, and Casey sporting his Mets jacket. You know, wh whoever did the color for this cover did an amazing job. You know, th this is an incredibly colorful issue or a colorful uh, cover with a lot of depth to it. I really like the shades of the red and purple of the barn mixed with the snow, the backdrop of snow covered a snow-covered field in the distance, the ice from the dilapidated gutters is a nice touch as well. You know, this is what comics are all about. You know, you read the story, but I encourage you to always take a minute to appreciate the art and its intricacies. Slow down because it's easy to miss this stuff because we're in a hurry or whatever reason. But go back Check out that artwork, and check out the cover of this one. It's a good one. As for the actual issue uh, artwork, the details of the snow-covered, dilapidated farmhouse on page one, Jim Lawson nailed it. I love his details on Dino's diner. Uh, you know, and all of it looks great. Ryan Brown also does an excellent job with the inks and the duo tones, you know, which seem to really complement Jim's art style and adds a lot more depth to every page. So the art, top-notch. I loved it. As far as the characters and concepts, like I just mentioned a minute ago, it's easy to overlook this issue when comparing it to some of the following issues in Volume 1. But where I think this comic really shines is its development of Casey Jones. Of course, you know, our first impressions of Casey in the Raft one-shot from 1985 is that he's kind of a one-dimensional hothead, or maybe a loony. However, 
even by the end of that one shot, we see the case is a little bit more than that as he teams up with Raph by its conclusion. And then by uh, issue 10 of the main run of TMNT, which came out almost two years later, Casey shows up to help even the odds with the Turtles against the Foot Clan, even landing a hit on Shredder, which, that's awesome. Once again, we see that Casey does have a heart for the Turtles in some way, in spite of the rage that's inside him. The story kind of builds on that. I like how Casey is showing Raph all of the battle scars of the old farmhouse, even acknowledging that he was a nut back then, so, you know, even he's kind of self-aware of his flaws there. So this shows me that Casey knows he has some anger issues, and when his rage seemingly gets the best of him in this issue, when he's fighting his cousin Sid, it's April that talks Casey down. So this is the first time we really see this dynamic between the two characters, and the relationship really only builds as the comic series continues. And speaking of Sid, I certainly didn't mind him. It seems he's got his own anger issues in this issue. Okay, I might be reading way too into this. Chances are I am. But, you know, I'm an English major, so I have to. That's kind of my thing. I teach English, too, so that we always talk about stuff like this. So maybe this is a reach, but I think it's interesting that uh, we get a little background of Casey's family tree, at least to his grandparents. So Grandpa's checkered past is certainly interesting because he was involved with a heist many years ago. Grandma, on the other hand, which we don't know a whole lot about her, she was perhaps the warm-hearted member of the family since she tried to right the wrongs of her husband, Casey's grandfather. Perhaps we could look at them, or perhaps we could look at Casey as a blend of both his grandfather and his grandmother. You know, he's kind of a warm-hearted outlaw. Casey could easily just be like his cousin Sid, who perhaps maybe favors the grandfather's side of the family. You know, all it would take was would just be a few wrong choices, and that's kind of why Casey needs the Turtles and April and Splinter. Those who see the good in him and only bring out the best in him. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what true friends do. Sappy but true. So overall, yeah, I really enjoyed this issue for that concept alone. You know, just developing Casey's character. So we did get some feedback on this premiere episode of Turtle Tales, and it's from my good friend Brian from Utah. Uh, he is a longtime listener of Turtle Flakes podcast, a huge fan of the Turtles comics, and it's so cool to, to hear his perspective and see things through a different lens because he grew up with the comics first and then found the cartoon, or then, then saw the cartoon, where I was the opposite. I saw the cartoon first and then started reading the comics years later. So... Brian's a huge fan of Volume 4 and, and, and all the Ninja Turtle comics, as a matter of fact. And he has some wonderful feedback regarding this particular issue. So I'll go ahead and uh, play it now. Rocksteady, use this Turtle Con to contact his fellow Shellbacks. Right, boss. Oh, boy. This is going to be fun. Hey, Rob. It's Brian from uh, Utah. I think it's really cool that you're doing this Turtle Tales podcast on the Tales of the TMNT series. And uh, that artwork that that uh, Jim Lawson did is, is pretty sweet for your guys' uh, logo. Um, I, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Volume 1, Issue 1 was also made into an a episode of the 2003 series. That was Episode 79. It was it was uh, titled Cousin Sid. So I'm, I'm sure you'll cover the, uh, the story itself pretty well, so I just wanted to mention some of the random stuff around the story. Um, if you read the story um, in the individual comic versus the actual trade paperback, now that's the Mirage trade, not the ADW trade, um, the original 
issue and the uh, Mirage tray don't really have major differences except for the original issue had a cool ad for the regular um, running series number 11 and a really cool pinup uh, image on the back inside cover. So I've never actually read the uh, IDW trade, so I don't know if there's any differences there. But uh, another interesting thing is that this was Jim Lawson's first Team NT book that he penciled. And I thought it was really interesting to compare his art in the first volume of Tales versus his artwork starting in Tales um, Volume 1, Issue 7, and then going into City at War, and which is pretty consistent from then until today. So Lawson's work in his first issue it really seems to look really similar to Kevin Eastman's style. And it makes me, you know, ask and wonder the question if Lawson was trying to keep with the original style and then became more and more comfortable using his own style as time went on, or if this was really his his style at that time, and then his style just evolved over the years. So I'm not sure to answer that question. I just thought it was interesting to observe. Um, good luck on this new series, on this new podcast, and uh, keep up the good work. All right. Thank you so much for the call, Brian. Uh, really insightful stuff. You know, first of all, he mentions the Cousin Sid episode of the 2003 cartoon, which was episode 79 from the run. I actually just watched it for the first time a few weeks ago in preparation for this particular episode. And I loved it. I, I think it's so great that the 2003 cartoon definitely harkens back to some of the comics, some of the original comics, and also parallels some of the comics that were coming out at that time in volume four. But then again, the 2003 cartoon sometimes puts their own spin on things. And I think that the Cousin Sid story in the cartoon, it rivals the, the original comic book issue because it added some, some different layers that this particular issue didn't have. So I, I won't spoil that for you, but I will provide a link in the show notes to a um, YouTube video of that episode. And you guys go see it for yourself. And you guys let me know what you think. You know, which one do you prefer and why? Brian also brings up a fascinating concept about Jim Lawson's artwork. Now, you guys know me. I'm a sucker for Jim Lawson's artwork. But he is certainly right. Yeah, his artwork has changed a lot since he first started drawing for the Turtles. When he first started, you see that it does favor a little bit more of maybe Kevin Eastman and, and uh, Peter Laird's art style. And then later on, even in Volume 1, early on in, in the late 80s and early 90s, his art is already starting to change. And then by Volume 4, it is his own style. You can see it. So was that a conscious decision or not? Well, stay tuned for that because I've got an answer for you. Straight from the comic creator's mouth. But before I get to that, Brian did mention a couple other things I thought were really cool. He mentions how there's differences between the original issue and the Mirage trade. Now, I've not read the IDW trade, so I can't comment on that. But I do have the original issue, and Brian is certainly right. The second to last page is a poster for, or an advertisement for the next issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue 11, entitled True Stories by April O'Neil. Uh, it's a great, great drawing of April with her giant earrings, uh, gotta love the 80s, and the turtles and Casey at the top. Uh, and it says, on sale June 1st, only from Mirage Studios. So that's a cool little uh, advertisement there. And on the inside of the back cover, this is another fascinating thing about issue one. There's a lot of firsts in this issue. The back cover is Dan Berger's very first pinup, very first contribution. I didn't know this. I, I, I was looking at the signature at the bottom. First of all, it's Shredder 
in the background, I guess, uh, hovering over the turtles, you know, about poised to attack the four turtles at the bottom. It looks amazing, guys. But I see at the bottom right corner, it's, it looks like it said Burger, 1987. And I was really intrigued by that because I didn't think Dan Burger actually started contributing to the comics until a little bit later. So I emailed him. I said, Dan, did you do the inside cover, the back cover of this issue, that pinup page? And he emailed me back right away and said he did and that it was his very first contribution to the Turtles. So there you have it, guys. Some really interesting stuff there. And, of course, Dan Berger would be a major part of some later issues of uh, Volume 1 and especially Volume 4, the main run and the Tales issues. Now, going back to Jim Lawson's art style, first of all, Brian brought another great point up that this was Jim's first penciled Turtles book. And I got to thinking about it, and hes I, I'm almost certain he's right. I, For some reason, I guess I had assumed that he had drawn something before this for the Turtles. I don't, I can't think of a specific thing now. So that is a fascinating first as well. And I emailed Jim about this because I thought Brian brought up some great points about his artwork and how it's evolved over the years. So Jim was kind enough to get back to me, and uh, he, he talks about that. So here's what Jim has to say about his artwork. Hey Rob, I guess I should preface this by saying that back when I first started with the Turtles, my style of drawing was cartoony, really cartoony, like bubble heads and fingers and whatnot. So when I first met Kevin and Peter, I remember being particularly drawn to Kevin's style. It was somewhat cartoony, but definitely more detailed and developed, and also had a sort of edgy quality to it. If your questioner is asking if I tried to look like Kevin to somewhat soften the blow of a new artist drawing the Turtles, so the readers wouldn't freak out too much? I would say no. That was just me trying to emulate Kevin Eastman. I've always been a big fan of his art. Yeah, my art now looks really different than it did back then. It wasn't something I set out to do. Like you said, it was more like an evolutionary thing. It just happened naturally over the years that I've been doing comics. I suppose when you draw as much as I do, which is quite a bit, it's expected that one style is going to go through some changes. As I sit here writing this, I'm thinking about other guys in the studio. Berger, Dooney, Levine, Pete. Honestly, it seems like my style has rather drastically changed in comparison to theirs. I don't really have a good explanation as to why. The same amount of time has passed for all of us. I'm not sure why my style is almost unrecognizable as to what it was back then. Anyway, I hope this answers your questions. Good to hear from you and talk soon. Jim. So, Jim, thank you so much for the feedback there. Uh, so there you have it, guys. It's just one of those things that just changed over time. Um, maybe not consciously. Perhaps early on, he did want to emulate Kevin Eastman out of admiration and respect. And that's certainly a great artist to emulate because he is one of the best. I love Kevin Eastman's art style. And anytime there's an IDW issue, I try to get the Kevin Eastman covers just because they do have that that edgy feel to them. And I wish I could describe that from an artist's point of view, but what makes it edgy, but it's just fantastic stuff. And Jim's work is fantastic as well. The old stuff and the new stuff that he does. So there you have it, guys. Brian, thank you so much for calling in. And Jim, thank you so much for emailing. And, and Dan as well, thank you so much for all the insight into this particular Tales issue. It's an exciting one for so many firsts. So, if you guys have any feedback regarding this issue, please let me know. I will definitely share that at the beginning of next month's episode. So, I'm thinking about starting a blog dedicated to Tales of the TMNT. It would be turtletalespodcast.blogspot.com, 
and I'm thinking about putting up maybe some scans of the issues and just some commentary on them. Just, just you know, put it up as I can. Now, guys, I apologize. You probably can already tell I'm not a very organized person. I'm pretty busy. I've, you know, I've got some some kids that definitely keep life interesting. So, as a matter of fact, as I'm recording this, it's about four in the morning, and everyone's still asleep. I hope, fingers crossed. And it takes me some time to upload these things. I've got every page scanned from the first issue and I'm going to try within the this month to upload everything that I can regarding the first issue onto the blog. It's just going to take some time to kind of figure out a way to make it look nice for you all as the readers and listeners, you know, that it's presentable and I'm not a very tech savvy guy, so that will take some time. But I am working on it. That will be a work in progress for sure. But we do have a brand new email for this show. It is turtletalespodcast at gmail.com. All one word, turtletalespodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email regarding this particular issue or regarding issue two, which we'll be covering next month. If you don't want to send us an email and just rather call in, our TurtleCom hotline is 865-309-4875. And give us some feedback regarding maybe this particular episode, regarding Tales 1, Tales 2, whatever you want. As long as it's Tales related, I'd be happy to share it. Even if it's just Turtles related, I'd be happy to share it on the next episode of Turtle Tales Podcast. We are on Twitter. I've got a brand new Twitter page uh, as well. It's at TurtleTalesPod. And I'm going to try to upload some scans there as well. I think that'd be a lot easier. So give us a follow on Twitter. I'd uh, be happy to hear from you. Big Slice of Pizza goes out to Mark from TMNT Entity. That is a blog dedicated to reviews of just about every single Turtles comic book that ever came out. He's the godfather of comic reviews for the Turtles. So Big Slice of Pizza goes out to him. And also to my partner in Ninja Turtle Crime, Josh O'Rourke, for his Turtle Tracks blog, where he reviews a lot of the toys some comics, um, and even some non-turtle-related stuff. So check out his blog. It's turtletracksblog.com. All right, so that wraps it up. So what is next on the menu? Well, next month, hopefully the first Saturday of April, we will be covering Tales of the TMNT Volume 1, Issue 2, which was published in August of 1987. So stay tuned for that. Please give us some feedback, and uh, I hope to hear from you next month. Guys, Thank you so much for listening. This was a blast. I hope that you guys enjoyed this. This is a little weird for me because I'm so used to having a co-host to keep me in line. If I was a little rambly, this is this is the real Rob. This is who I am. <laughs> so hopefully I wasn't too bad for you. But thank you for tuning in. Thank you for all your support over the years. It's so hard to believe it's been six years we've done this. I feel like we just got started. And it's always exciting to start something new like this. And, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have preparing for it and talking about it. Anyways, guys, I guess that's it. I will see you here in the sewers next month to talk about another exciting issue of Tales of the TMNT. And on behalf of the whole Turtle Flakes crew and myself, Cowabunga, Turtle Power, and God bless my friends. I'll see you next month.